the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. What is exhortation? Exhortation is urging people. It's urging people to obey. It's warning them if they don't obey. It's encouraging them to do what's right, to conform to what they have been taught. And what is teaching? It is explaining. We use the term expositor. What does it mean to exposit? It means to explain. Expiation, exegesis, exhortation, exposition. It seems like theologians have a special attraction to words that start with E-X. Today on Verse by Verse, we'll become more familiar with those last two words, exhortation and exposition. Those are two of the hallmarks of a good preacher and are essential to being a good servant of God. Welcome. Pastor Steve Kreloff is guiding us in a series of lessons from 1 Timothy chapter 4 about the marks of a good servant. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Some of the marks we've already learned about are that the good servant protects his flock. He feeds himself spiritually, he avoids error, he pursues godliness, and he speaks with biblical authority. In our last class, Pastor Steve pointed out from this passage that the good servant is also devoted to the ministry to which God has called him. He's devoted to reading God's Word to his people. Not just reading it, he's devoted to seeing that they understand it and apply what God is saying to them. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, give attention or devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Let's listen now as Pastor Steve explains. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, until you get new orders from me personally, be devoted to reading, to exhorting, and to teaching. Now, what do these three activities mean? Well, first of all, he says, be devoted to reading. He is not referring to to Timothy's personal reading habits. He is not speaking to him like a student. You would speak to a student and say, have you read your homework assignment? He's not doing that. This isn't homework for a school child, but this is a command for a Christian leader. That's why I stress it is the reading. The reading of what? The reading of Scripture. And he's not talking about Timothy's personal devotions either. He is talking about the public reading of the Word of God. The reading of Scripture. In the early church, part of the worship service was given over to the reading of a portion of Scripture. It was very important, especially, uh, we have to keep in mind that uh, very few people had a copy of a scroll that had the Scriptures on it. They didn't have a printing press. And uh, there were not a whole lot of scrolls that went around. There was probably an official scroll in the the, uh, synagogue or in the church, and then probably some people had the scrolls. But not many people had it. So it's important that God's word be read so that everyone could hear it. Now, we read the word of God today in the worship service, usually before a passage of scripture is read. There are other churches who will read it uh, in a a separate time. But it it does not quite have the significance in our day that it had in Paul's day because 
for the most part, all of you have a copy of the Bible in front of you. But in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, remember we saw this a few weeks ago? Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. It's a promise given to the one who stands up in a local church and he is the official public reader of the scriptures. The blessing is for him, the blessing is for those who hear. That's the thought here. Now, this custom of publicly reading the scriptures goes back, would go back all the way to the Old Testament. I'd like you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. This is very, very significant, very important for us to understand. In Deuteronomy, all the way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 31, perhaps the first time we get some kind of inclination about calling the people together to have the word of God read to them is in this chapter, Deuteronomy 31, verse 11 says, When all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the men and the women and children and the alien, that would be the foreigners, not those who come from Mars, the foreigners who the alien who is in your town, in order that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the works of this law. And their children who have not known will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. As you go into the land of Canaan, remember this, Moses, that, that you must call the people together to read the word of God to them. You read the law to them. You call the people, they assemble, and you read the word to them. But I think probably the key passage that tells us that this, uh, uh, where this custom uh, took hold of the people and continued on into the church is found in Nehemiah chapter 8. You need to go a little bit further, and it might be uncharted waters for some of us, but Nehemiah uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, and I'll just read parts of this. And all the people gathered as one man at the square which is in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Rather than even turn there, why don't you just listen? To, to, uh, to take the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. I was reading all day to them. And uh, Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which, he had made, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, and I won't mention all these names, but verse 5 says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Great reverence and respect for the word of God. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their face, faces to the ground. And verse 8 says, And they read from the book, from the law of God, translating it. Now, translating it means expounding it, explaining it does not mean just one language to another. Explaining it to give the sense that they understood the reading. The thought is this. Ezra stood up from a podium and he read from the law of Moses and he explained to the people what he was reading so that they understood what it was about. They heard it and he explained its meaning. That's the thought. 
Now, this apparently took hold of the people because later, in the, later on in history, in the synagogue services, the law and the prophets were read. In fact, they're read even to this day. After which follows a sermon based on the portion of Scripture just read. I don't know if that's always followed today. I know there's a sermon given. I don't know that it's always the case that today the sermon is based on what they read. But uh, there, there are titles for people uh, in the synagogue. The expositor is a member of the congregation who stood at a pulpit beside the reader and then delivered a short address from it. In other words, back then, there would be someone who's called the reader. He would read the passage, and there would be someone else, either to his left or right, who would, um, who would have a pulpit, and he then would explain, give a message based on what the reader just read. Let me give you some insight on this, because we have this illustrated in the, in the scriptures. We have this illustrated in the synagogue service of our Lord's day in the first century. They read the scripture and expounded it and explained it. Will you look at Luke chapter 4? This is, this is, I think this is thrilling to be able to go back into biblical history and see how it all comes together. In Luke chapter 4, and it will give you great insight into what was going on. Luke chapter 4 Verse 16, this is the time when Jesus came to Nazareth and went into the synagogue. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. He stood up to read, and then, the Bible says, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. That is, the scroll was handed to him. He opened the book, found the place where it was written, and and uh, this is what it, what it said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendants and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? And so forth. Now, this is very interesting. He stood up, and that was the position that a rabbi would take to, to, uh, to read. The reader would take. He stood up to read, but then he sat down. And sitting down was the normal position of a rabbi to teach. What Jesus did was he did a typical thing that, that took place in a synagogue. He stood up as the rabbi, he read, he sat down, now he was going to teach. And I believe that the Lord said more than what Luke has recorded for us. I don't think they would be marveling at all of his words if he just said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your, in your sight. No, I think that uh, Luke is just giving a summation of what the Lord said, but I think he went on to expound it and explain it and talk about Isaiah. Not only that, but in Acts chapter 13, in Acts chapter 13, we're given some insight on this very same uh, issue. Paul, in verse uh, 14, the Bible says, and, um, and going on from Perga, they arrived at uh, Pisidian, Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. And then Paul got up. And he spoke to them. We also read in Acts 15, verse 21. Remember the church at Jerusalem is having this major conflict about our 
Gentiles going to have to become Jews in order to become Christian. They have to be circumcised. They have to do this. They have to do that. They have to keep the law. And this is a very, very significant church council. And in uh, this chapter, verse 21, there's a statement for Moses from from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he has read in the synagogues every Sabbath. All I want you to see is that it was customary in the synagogue to read a portion of scripture and to preach what you read, to give a message from it. Now, with that in mind, it is not surprising, it should not be surprising to us that the early church, comprised of many Hebrew Christians, also adapted the same practice of of the public reading of the scripture followed by an exhortation. And we know this to be the case because in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says this, and when this letter is read among you, among you Colossians, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from the Laodiceans. Now, what's the letter from the Laodiceans? Either it is the letter that we call the letter to the Ephesians, which is very possibly this letter to the Laodiceans, or else it's a letter that we just don't have. But in either case, the point here is that Paul says, when you gather together, you read my letter, you send my letter to another church, and you get the letter that I wrote to them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 gives the same thought, verse 27, I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. That's the thought, the public reading of Scripture. And so towards the end of Paul's life, the pattern has been established in the local church meeting. Read the scripture, publicly read the word of God. But that's not all that Timothy is told to do. He also is told in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, back to that place, he's told to give attention to exhortation and to teaching. In other words, after you read from the Bible, Timothy, explain what it means and then exhort the people to obey it. I don't think exhortation and and teaching is in any special order. In fact, I think you would have to teach first and then exhort. You can't exhort people to do something that you haven't taught them what it's all about. What is exhortation? Exhortation is urging people. It's urging people to obey. It's warning them if they don't obey. It's encouraging them to do what's right, to conform to what they have been taught. And what is teaching? It is explaining. We use the term expositor. What does it mean to exposit? It means to explain. To, to explain the meaning, to take out and explain the meaning of the scripture. An expositor is one who simply explains the meaning of the Bible. Folks, this is what a balanced ministry is all about. This is what Timothy and any pastoral leader is to be devoted to. He's to read the text, teach it, explain it, and then, and then apply it. That is biblical exposition. When I taught a course for the Friends of Israel at their Bible Institute, I taught a course on preaching and teaching, and that is how you define it. That is the biblical definition of a balanced expositor. He reads it, he explains it, he applies it. It doesn't get a whole lot deeper than that. That's what biblical preaching is all about. Read the Bible, explain it, and then apply it to people's lives. This is what a good servant of Christ is devoted to. And it's not something that he's he's to do uh, part-time after he gets finished doing all of his other responsibilities. This is the heart of his ministry. Paul says, until I come, this is what you're to devote yourself to doing. That doesn't mean that's the only thing he he does, but this is the heart and substance of what you do. Everything else flows around this. Everything else has to have this as the center of the ministry. 
And this has always been the mark of an excellent servant. They read the text, they explain the text, they apply the text. The history of the church verifies this. The book that I, um, I made as the textbook for my students in New Jersey is an excellent book called Between Two Worlds. It is written by John Stott, and it's the art of preaching in the 20th century. He, he calls it uh, Between Two Worlds because the biblical expositor must take the, the worlds of the Bible and all of its culture and all of its customs and all of its language that we have to study and doesn't come naturally to us. He must take that world... And he must take his world that he lives in, which in our day and age, the 20th century, and he must bring these two together. That's why it's not only a science, but it's an art. But in this first chapter in this book, uh, Dr. Stott gives a history of, of preaching. And I want to just read to you a little bit about this, because I think you should have a sense of history. I think we should, we who... Uh, who live in these days and in this day and age have a tendency to, to forget history. Things are moving so fast, so much information is coming at us that we lose our historical bearings. And I think you ought to know what the uh, what the history of the church has been concerning preaching. I'll just quote a little bit from this book. This is the chapter called "The Glory of Preaching: A Historical Sketch." About the middle of the second century, Justin Martyr's first apology was published. Apology doesn't mean he was sorry, it means a defense of the faith. He addressed it to the emperor, defending Christianity against, against uh, misrepresentations and arguing that it is true because the Christ who died and rose was the embodiment of truth and the savior of mankind. Towards the end, he gave an account of the weekly worship of Christians. You want to know how they worshipped in the, uh, what did I say, the middle of the second century? You know how they worshipped in the first century because that's what Paul is telling Timothy all about. I quote from Justin Martyr. On the, on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then, when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these things. Now, don't get hung up on who's the president, who's the reader, whatever. The point is, when they gathered together, someone read and someone explained and taught the scriptures. That's the second century. Dr. Stock goes on to mention a man by the name of John Chrysostom, who preached for 12 years in the cathedral in Antioch before becoming bishop of Constantinople in A.D. 398. And this is one of the, uh, from his message on Ephesians 6.13, take the whole armor of God, he said this, he voiced, or the, his biographer says, he voiced his conviction about the unique importance of preaching. Like our human body, he said, the body of Christ is subject to many diseases. Medicines, correct diet, suitable climates, and ad- adequate sleep all help to restore our physical health. But how shall the body of Christ be healed? One only, uh, one only means And one way of cure has been given us, and that is the teaching of the word of God. This is the best instrument. This is the best diet and climate. This serves instead of medicine. This serves instead of of cautery and cutting. Whether it be needful to burn or to amputate, this one method must be used, and without it, nothing else will avail. Now, Stock goes on to say, it was more than a century after his death that his greatness as a preacher came to be recognized, and he was nicknamed uh, Chrysostomos, which means golden mouth, and he is generally regarded as the greatest pulpit orator of the Greek church, nor has any superior or equal among the Latin fathers. 
Uh, he remains to this day a model of preachers in large cities. What is this model? Now listen. Four chief characteristics of his preaching may be mentioned. First, he was biblical. Not only did he preach systematically through several books, but his sermons are full of biblical quotations and allusions. Secondly, his interpretation of the scriptures of the scriptures was simple and straightforward. He followed the Antiochian school of literal exegesis in contrast to fanciful Alexandrian uh, allegory. Thirdly, his moral applications were down to earth. Reading his sermons today, one can imagine without difficulty the pomp of the imperial court, the luxuries of the aristocracy, the wild races of the hippodrome. In fact, the whole life of an oriental city at the end of the fourth century. Fourthly, he was fearless in his condemnation. In fact, he was a martyr of the pulpit, for it was chiefly his faithful preaching that caused his exile. goes on to mention a number of men, but one I thought was very interesting was, uh, was Martin Luther. He says this, it was the preaching of the divine word, not political intrigue or the power of the sword which established the Reformation in Germany. Luther put it later, I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word, otherwise I did nothing. That was it. That's what changed the world, the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. That is our legacy. That is what we look back on. In fact, um, one of my favorite expositors is D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and this is what he wrote in his book on preaching, which is another great book. He said, Is it not clear, as you take a bird's-eye view of church history, that the decadent periods and eras in the history of the church have always been those periods when preaching had declined? What is it that always heralds the dawn of a reformation or of a revival? It is renewed preaching. A good servant of Christ, an excellent servant, is devoted to reading, to exhorting, and to applying the Bible to people's lives. But that's being challenged today, and that's why I wanted you to have a sense of history, because that is being questioned and objected to on, on every front. Seminaries are doing that. Bible schools sometimes do that. Churches certainly do that. People who sit in the pews do that, and they challenge the teaching of the Word of God. How is it being challenged? Well, there's a lot of people calling today for dialogue. Why don't we just have dialogue in the pulpit? Why do we always need to hear the Word of God? Dialogue. Then there are others who, saying, who are saying what we need is psychology. We need to understand how we operate. Uh, quite frankly, I'm not that interested in how I operate. I just want to know how to deal with my sin. I'm not interested in knowing so much how it got there. I want to know how to get rid of it and walk in obedience. But there are some people, that's no psychology. And, and we're not saying that psychology is wrong. We're just saying that it's not the substitute for the word of God. It's not what we ought to be doing in the pulpit. And, and of course, there's politics today that many, I believe many pastors have prostituted their, their ministry of the word of God for politics. And then I think one of the great challenges is entertainment. Let's just entertain people and have a lot of people in the church and be popular. And let's bring in a lot of singing groups and let's do this. and let's, Nothing wrong with singing groups, but there's no substitute for the word of God. I think that one of the great challenges in preaching in our day and age is what I, called ser- what I call sermonettes. It's not original with me. I heard someone else say that, sermonettes for Christianettes. And that is, let's give just kind of a, a brief surface type of shallow message. You know what that builds? Brief, surface, shallow-type Christians. I've heard that sort of thing called Christianity light. Some people like the fluffy sermonettes with clever stories that make us feel all warm inside. But if we think about this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4, I don't see how we could ever get the idea that God likes them. The church's purpose is to equip and build up the members for the life God wants us to lead, not to entertain us and make us feel good about ourselves. 
Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more for us about the marks of a good servant on our next Verse by Verse. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more at lakesidechapel.com or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. Let me take a moment to remind you about our message archive page where you can catch up on previous broadcasts you might have missed. Or you can download a whole series that might interest you. Go to versebyverseradio.org and click the Message Archive link near the top of the page. And there's also a giving page if you'd like to help support Verse by Verse. Thank you for those prayers and gifts that help us keep Verse by Verse on the air. The website again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Have you ever thought about how few of us take seriously what our pastors are teaching? How few of us follow through and then practice what he preaches? And have you ever thought about how discouraging it can be for that pastor when he sees so many of us listening politely or simply falling asleep in front of him and then going on our way unaffected by what he has prayed and labored over to deliver us? It's easy for pastors to become discouraged, and many do. But as we'll see on the next verse by verse, the good servant doesn't give up. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.